นโมทัสสะมุคคะทัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะมุคคะทัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะมุคคะทัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนมัสสะ
but of letting go of all the excess, all the excess that we carry around, all the excess desires, the excess dislikes, liking and disliking, loving and hating, memories, anxieties about the future. This surely is the the, the burden that uh, we feel encumbered by and, and we'd like to be able to let go of. So training the heart is one way of looking at this verse. Training the heart is, is listening to the teachings that the Buddha gave or reading the teachings the Buddha gave, listening to the teachings that teachers give us that from their own experience show us how, actually how to let go. Just wanting to let go, we know that's not enough. In fact, sometimes wanting to let go makes it worse. But that's, um, we'll talk about that a bit later on. So some of the skills that help us let go. And the first and, and most obvious one is this uh, teaching Buddha gave on, on sati, or watchfulness, mindfulness, awareness, that, that to give this a priority. That when we don't have, or as Ajahn Chah would say, when we don't have mindfulness, we consider ourselves as mad. Uh, we should consider ourselves as mad. If we don't have mindfulness, we should consider ourselves as, at least in a state of uh, diminished responsibility. In, in Thai, though, the word Sajjan Chai to say was, which literally means you know, at the times that we are without Sati, then during those times we are crazy. And so Sati, or mindfulness, is the priority. And what to do to protect that, to maintain that, Sometimes we get heedless, <coughs> we get heedless by letting ourselves get too busy. There seems to be even in the monastery there seems to be endless things to do, uh, people to talk to, projects to complete. Uh, whether it's the buildings uh, and to look after, or relationships to maintain, or scriptures to study, uh, correspondence to keep up. And then, of course, in the lay world, there is money to be made and food to be obtained and prepared and cooked and clothes. So there's no end, actually, to the activity we could get ourselves caught up in. But it's wise, it's skillful to keep it simple in support of mindfulness. To not to just 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 to to see like mindfulness is like a it's like a, a basic ingredient it's like a, a, a an element if you like that if we don't have this element in our diet we get sick you know, if we're missing it then we're going to get sick if we don't have mindfulness then we really don't have anything much going for us in practice so to really make that a priority to understand that. And then how does it feel when we exercise mindfulness? How does it bring about letting go? Well, sometimes that's all that's needed. Whether it's a meditation or in daily life, 
some some passion flares up and all we can do is be alert, be mindful, look at it and that's enough. It's just enough to look at it, to see it. To simply see it can be enough. If mindfulness is strong and well prepared, then we just look at it and letting go happens. That's enough. Just to simply see it with good quality mindfulness and letting go happens. If that is the case, well then it's probably because we've done our work in that area, uh, we've investigated, we've come to understand whatever the particular passion is, and, uh, and, and so mindfulness is, is well informed and prepared, and letting go just happens. Either that or it's a, it's a, a mediocre level of passion, it's not anything of any great consequence. But there are flare-ups of passion which are much more obstinate much more obstinate and, and they just keep coming back, keep coming back and we have faith in mindfulness and we, we protect our mindfulness, we live simply and we keep the precepts and, and so we exercise the mindfulness and look at this state that's arisen and it just doesn't disappear, it just goes up into our head and becomes stories and, and proliferates and, and then it uh, affects our body and the next thing you know we've created a whole drama out of it. So sometimes just seeing, directing attention onto the state is not enough. Letting go doesn't happen. So we need to engage. Sometimes we need to engage, actively engage. So sometimes just seeing it is not enough. We need to actively engage it. And and once we do engage it, well, then we become aware of how well-established our ability to be restrained is. Because... If we turn to an object, we let go of our meditation object, or if it's in daily life, we, we turn to the, the state of mind that's arisen and, and we actively engage it and, and let ourselves see it and feel it, and, and then we, we come to recognize, do we become it? Do we get pulled into becoming it? Yeah. And we need to be impeccably honest about that. And and very careful about that, because if this passion's got a lot of energy in it, then uh, becoming is dangerous. We can become enraged, we can become terrified, we can become impassioned, and and then, uh, if we're not careful, we end up acting out on the passion. So, to get a measure on and to appreciate the function of restraint, this is like restraint is like a, a psychic muscle that we have to exercise. And in the beginning, depending on how we grew up, what our early life was like, we may or may not be very restrained. The, uh, the, the casual culture that most of us were brought up in mean that we were mostly pretty indulgent, really. You know, if we, we want it, we go after it. And so uh, we need to be very careful and. Uh, really exercise this muscle to see that if we don't have this ability to be restrained like can we look at resentment without becoming angry can we look at desire without becoming greedy now if we have this muscle of restraint in place then we can do that we can look at desire I don't know some example of 
you know, you want to, you know, I don't know, go shopping or something. Want to go shopping. I mean, you don't really need anything. Um, got everything you need. Got more than you need. But it's just a habit uh, to deal with the feeling of restlessness or distraction. So I want to go shopping. And so desire is there. Can we bring our mindfulness to bear on that desire and engage it, actively engage it and, and feel it, feel in the body where does this desire manifest? In my guts, in my chest? Yeah. Do I feel wanting yeah. in my neck? Yeah. To really actively engage it. If we've got restraint, we don't have to get pulled into it. We don't have to get pulled into it. It's a choice actually. We may not know we've got that choice, but we do have that choice, whether to get pulled into becoming or not. And so in our practice of actively engaging it, we can also, we need to become skilled in contemplating. To, like with desire, to contemplate desire. What, what really, what's in it for me? If I always follow desire, do we really engage our thinking? As I've said before, not to demonize thinking. So long as we've got mindfulness established and some tranquility and restraint in place, then we can engage this feeling of wanting, call it by its name and say wanting. And we can engage it and say, what do you want? And really engage it with intelligence to think. It does, does following this wanting all the time, does it bring me benefit? Does it really help? Does it make me feel good? Does it really make me feel good? So yes, it makes me feel good, but does it really make me feel good? Momentarily, it makes me feel good, but does it really make me feel good? Does it really make me feel contented? Or is it just another scratching an itch? And then the infection returns. I want again, I want again. I have shared with you before how I use sense, attractive sense objects and, and imagine them as being like a delicious cappuccino that uh, has been poisoned. Somebody imagine if you like cappuccino and uh, you see somebody drop a, a, a little tablet of strychnine in it. So that really, that cup of cappuccino really looks attractive, really nice, looks really good. And uh, I really want it. The smell is definitely attractive, no question about it. But there's a knowing there. There's a knowing that if I follow that and drink it, I'm going to be very sick. You know that strychnine is poison. And so if we contemplate, engage with our thinking mind, uh, with restraint, with carefulness, with mindfulness, uh, with a perspective on what we're doing, we don't get lost in the desire. If we start to get lost in the desire, well, then we've got to pull back, come back. Come back, remember the whole body, awareness. Or remember the breath. Um, find a frame of reference again. But if we're steady and stable in that area, then engage it uh, actively. And consider it and develop the skill of being able to contemplate. It took me many years to appreciate the skill. I, I was just thinking that you know, just so long as I stop thinking and just make the mind quiet, everything's going to be okay. I treated the silent mind as like a holy cow that, that uh, if I just you know, bow down to it and worshipped it, 
one day it would give me what I wanted. And it took many years to realize that's not going to happen. And it's not certainly what the Buddha taught. Yes, developing tranquility. Yes, uh, developing the skill of, of steadying the mind. But yes, also to really applying intelligently the thinking mind so as to undo the tangle of our attachments. And so attachments to desire, attachments to ill will, to engage the thinking mind, engage our contemplation, not being pulled into it. You know if you're being pulled into it because your heart rate increases, you start sweating and and you lose perspective. So we're talking about a cool investigation. Doesn't mean to say you're totally cool, but there's a boundary there. There's a point there where you know if you go past this, then you get pulled into the vortex of the passion. And as the passion enters the heart, like the, the rain entering a badly made roof, a, a poorly trained heart, the passion enters it. And so we, if we're properly prepared, we can engage it with our contemplative uh, considerations and, and say, what is the benefit of getting angry? I really feel tempted to go and tell this guy what I think of him, to go and blast him, humiliate him, insult him, hurt him. I really feel that way. And it really feels like this. Yeah, this really does feel like this. I want to do this. But what's the benefit? Does it benefit me? Does it really make me feel good? Well, momentarily. Momentarily, like following casual desires. Momentarily relieves us from the pain of wanting. Following heedless aversion. Momentarily, we're freed from the pain of the pent-up energy. But if we exercise restraint, exercise mindfulness, exercise investigation, then maybe we can see through, we can see beyond the way this tempting motivation, this tempting passion feels. It really feels this way. But if I think about it, well, in the past, no. The honest result is, the honest, the honest conclusion is that Every time I've followed anger, it's made me things worse. It's hurt me and hurt somebody else. And even if the other person doesn't know that I'm angry at them, even if they don't get my insult, I know and I feel bad. So if we're impeccably honest, you know, we have to be very subtle about this, if we're really honest about it, then following anger, following greed, following these moods, doesn't bring benefit. And so if we use our contemplation in this way, it's like it's educating the mind. Educating the mind. Educating the heart. It's educating awareness. So our awareness is, is properly informed, properly prepared. And if we've done this work, well then maybe next time we come across some such motivation, all we have to do is just see it. Return to it and look at it. So actively engaging avariceness, actively engaging aversion, fear, anxiety, confusion, loneliness. When we're ready, when we're properly prepared with the skills of restraint and mindfulness and the ability to steady the mind, then to really actively engage these passions, get to know them. 
then, so that's a good skill, to be able to actively engage and contemplate and reflect until letting go happens. However, sometimes that's not enough also. And it's important to be sensitive enough in our investigation to recognize when it's maybe the case that we've reached the point where although what we might think we're doing is investigating for the purpose of letting go or for the purpose of understanding, so letting go can happen, because we can't do letting go. That's very important to understand. Letting go happens when there's proper understanding, good enough, clear seeing. So if we, even though we might think that's what we're doing, is investigating for the sake of understanding and letting go, really what we're doing is trying to get rid of it. And sometimes you've got to be very, very, very quiet, very, very careful and feeling into the body, feeling into the heart, feeling into the mind, and come to see whether that's what we're really doing when we think we're investigating, we think we're contemplating. We're trying to actually get rid of it, trying to push it away. And so another skill that's uh, very important to cultivate is still engaging, but engaging, engaging in a passive way. So engaging actively and engaging passively. Like a few weeks ago, I spoke about that Tai Chi exercise of pushing hands, being assertive and yielding, assertive and yielding. So likewise, with engaging the passions for the sake of understanding, we engage in an assertive way, or we we need to also be able to have the skill of engaging in a yielding way, or a receptive way. It's not a passive receptance. It's not a pathetic passive receptance. It's not an abdication. I like to think of it as a, as a radical receptivity. Yeah. To radically receive this state means to feel it, to know it, and not move on it at all. Yeah. We've done some investigation. We've, we've gotten to know it a little bit, but letting go still hasn't happened. And maybe it's because we're still busy doing something with it. We're still interfering with it. And this is so common. This is so normal for us with our compulsive interfering minds. The way we manipulate everything in our lives. That's what what our particular form of ego, particular form of contracted self is so good at doing. Interfering with things. To be able to just allow something to be is not so easy. But sometimes that's exactly what's called for. Now, the, the compulsive interfering mind is not going to like that at all because you know, a big part of me likes to think that I can sort it out. I love to feel responsible. I really do. I love. I, fe- I really get off on feeling responsible uh, and fixing things and doing things. And I don't think I'm terribly rare in that. And that's pretty much the way we're, we're trained, the way we all grow up. But if it's compulsive, then it can be the very cause for letting go not happening. 
accept sometimes what's called for when there's a state uh, obstructing clarity, obstructing peace, we feel obstructed in, in some way, then what we need to do is just to receive it as it is and not move at all to not engage actively at all not say anything if we say anything then maybe what we can say is no judgment or no view or no position because if we have no position we're not moving we're not for we're not against we're not for, we're not against. It's, it's easy to be for or against stuff. But one of the reasons why we can't let go of all of our stuff is because we're so busy being for and against. We can even make a spiritual practice out of being against all sorts of stuff. But so long as there's somebody taking position against stuff, there's still a me here causing trouble. There's still a me here hanging on to a view, a perspective. And so after we've tried our other skills and letting go hasn't happened, then this is really worth considering. Can we not investigate? Can we not say anything? Can we not move on the impulse? Whatever it is. Sadness. Resentment. Desire. It's easy to have an opinion about these things. But sometimes it's useful to experiment, to practice with trying to not have an opinion. And then if you say no view, no opinion, no position, if you say something like that, then, and then feel that, feel that, uh, but what, what if, uh, that, I've got to fix it, I've got to do something, I've got to, that's worth seeing. That compulsive interfering busybody that always wants to be there and that could be the very thing that's getting in the way of letting go and it is I use radical radical receptivity because it is radically different from the mode of engaging that we're used to but even that also uh, sometimes doesn't bring about letting go so we just try to be mindful and simply see the disturbance of mind and that doesn't let go we try to engage actively contemplating restraining investigating letting go doesn't happen we engage passively or in a way of of receiving, simply receiving the state, the condition, and letting go doesn't happen. And then the most precious and perhaps the most important skill or tool in our toolbox that we is absolutely essential is the willingness to be patient. That uh, patient endurance despite what we might think and feel uh, is not a soft option 
again, it's 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 subtle yeah. from one perspective, from the hyperactive interfering thinking mind perspective, it is subtle because the hyperactive thinking mind always wants to be doing something about things, always wants to be taking a position for or against, right, wrong, good, bad, should, shouldn't, yeah. interfering and trying to make things right. And to a certain point, we need to become skilled and exercise that, but only to a certain point. And if we see that letting go doesn't happen, well, then we need to take it to another level. And so when something, when none of our skills work, when none of our tricks works, when none of our efforts actually bring about letting go, then we need to be willing and be prepared in advance to be prepared to to value patient endurance. Again, from the hyperactive compulsive thinking mind, you know, patient endurance just seems weak. I want to be able to do it. I want to be able to fix it. But you'll read throughout the Buddha's teachings how much he praised patient endurance. So one one aspect of patient endurance, the cultivation of patient endurance that is worth considering is that that, uh, that the Buddha said it's absolutely essential. And uh, I was reading some quotes of Ajahn Chah's teachings the other day and uh, preparing the calendar for next year, actually. Although we're, we're talking about this year's calendar tonight, I was already getting next year's calendar ready. The printer wants it well in advance. And so uh, one of the Dhamma quotes that I was using from the teachings of Ajahn Chah was just this point that that uh, patient endurance is most important, yeah. and so the Buddha said it, Ajahn Chah said it, all the great teachers say it, and so that's a, so we can accept that as you know with a reasonable degree of of uh, confidence that that's a fact in the spiritual life. Patient endurance is necessary. What's also a fact and worth thinking about is that we can't and don't develop patience when we're having fun, when everything's going absolutely swimmingly, when we're having a really, really good time. We're not being patient. And we may be developing other aspects of the path, but when we're having a great time, we're not being patient. So, one, we need to develop patience. It's absolutely necessary, absolutely essential. And two, you can't develop patience when you're having a good time. So this is worth bearing in mind. This is not just putting a positive spin on it. It's really a way of, of aligning ourselves with this transformative power. We know we've got too much. We know we're burdened with all this excess, uh, excess from the past, excess ideas and fantasies about the future, and excess reactivity to the now. And we want to be able to drop this burden. We'd like to be able to let go of it well, patience endurance is one of the most important tools. And that when we're having a bad time, this is the very, very time, the only time that we can develop patient endurance. So to do whatever it takes to, to address our thinking on that, you know, just to say the word patience, it sounds weak to me. The word's got a very negative connotation. But to change our thinking about it, to really 
really internalize the, the conviction. You know, I find the word endurance actually more useful than patience. Uh, to, to patiently endure, to gently endure, to kindly endure, to carefully endure, to mindfully endure. And trust that letting go will happen. So in considering this Dhammapada verse this evening, as rain cannot penetrate a, a well-made roof, so the passions cannot enter into a well-trained heart. There's, there's uh, one way of considering what training amounts to. Is equipping ourselves with these skills. We, can't, we don't know what our karma is. We don't know how long it's going to be before letting go happens. But what we can do is build the confidence in the skills with which we approach the task. So thank you very much this evening for your attention.